0: Hello, world. Welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. It's your co-host, Jenny Scott, here with my favorite co-host, Dan, the man, Duran. What's up today, Dan? Well, we're busting this, Jenny. I've got
1: this visual, for some reason, of like balloons floating around, like maybe a helium balloon, right? That's kind of neutral, and, it, and they're all floating, and I'm just kind of popping. I've got these sharp things, and I'm like, pop, pop.
0: Pop. so let's let's
1: pop some this let's
0: pop you were that person huh i was the person that just kind of gentle slit and would suck out the helium and run around uh-huh. the- <laughs> maybe that's why i'm weird because i ingested too much helium i don't well, know the thing <laughs> let me tell you
1: let me tell you i'm gonna i'm gonna tell i'm gonna tell a story uh i've I, often i often say just about everything i know i learned the hard way. right it's through making yeah. mistakes and the first I, I i taught a class where i blew up or I had all the students. All the, it was a, a, a conference session, so there—I don't know—40, 50 people, and they all blew up their own balloon, tied it off, and we played games throughout the session. And so when the when it was all done, I walked over and grabbed the balloons, and I did what you did—I I bit, and then I let the air out, and my face started getting wet, and I got about. A third of the way Ew. through the balloons. I got about a third of the way through the balloons when I realized everybody's spit was on my face. So Ew. I learned the hard way don't pop balloons like that when people
0: blow them up. Not a good thing. Oh, I would have <laughs> lost it. Ugh, you have other people's spittle on your All face. All over my face. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm that person at the gym that even before COVID would go find the spray bottles and like douse the machine that I'm about to use, I would let it sit there because there's such thing as contact <laughs> time, people. It's cleaning versus disinfecting. You have to leave it on there for a little bit and then I'd wipe it down. I still do that. People look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, first of all, COVID. Second of Germophobe. all. Yes. Germaphobe. Germaphobe. Uh, yo, that's, have you ever seen MRSA before? People who have never worked in a club or a gym before? Like, nah, no. Yeah, I come from <laughs> the other school of thought. If you didn't grow up
1: like uh, shoveling poop and eating dirt, then you don't have okay. an immune system. So, eating
0: dirt. I, yeah. love I did not eat dirt. I used to get in trouble for having grass stains on my pants. Dirt, we ate dog food. We did it all in the cut. I did eat dog cookies once in elementary school. <laughs> my friend Christy had like four dogs, which at that time was like unheard of in the 90s. I was like, you have how many dogs? And her parents were total hippies. Her dad was a surgeon. So when every time we had sleepovers, we'd lay in their the family's bed. We'd all be in our pajamas. We'd lay in their bed and watch his surgery videos. Like videos of him cutting people open was what we watched at sleepovers. Yeah cool family.
1: I'm there. hearing a theme. I got to say, my neighbor was a hippie. Uh, oh, gosh. Job was the kid. can't remember her name, but they, she was a serious hippie. And that's who I ate dog food
0: with. There must be a theme here. No offense, hippies. I mean, if I, if I could grow hair, I would be a hippie, but I can't. So I mean, if I was stuck somewhere and needed food, I would eat dog food as well. <laughs> <laughs> you got to eat. Uh, <laughs> eat. How'd we get here, Jenny? How'd we right. get here? We went down a rabbit hole. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Okay, we're back. (laughs) So we are indeed busting some myths today, specifically training myths. So a lot of our listeners out there are personal trainers. You guys work in fitness facilities. You manage personal trainers. Some of you guys don't. Some of you guys just like what we have to say, which is awesome. Thank you. Some of you guys are intellectuals, some PhDs out there. Um, We love all of you. Um, But we're just going to talk about some things that are commonly going around and, you know, hopefully put some truth into them. Um, Blow some air into these balloons that don't have spin in them. And uh, just give you guys some insights into it. Specifically, it's more, it's less of just me and Dan saying, hey, this is wrong. You guys, you know, if you believe this, you're dumb. It's not that. It's just, hey, some of these things might have some truth to them and some might not. But if a client asks you these questions, how are you gonna address it with them, right? What would you say to them? What resources would you give them? Um, And maybe uh, again, enlighten us, enlighten people on some things that maybe are not necessarily the most true things in the world or just aren't like spoken about in the right way. Okay, so first training myth to talk about here. Dan, you should stretch before you work out. How
1: do you, you should. feel about that? You should. Uh, <laughs> okay, and like Jenny said, this is coming from us and, and things that we've looked up or researched, which I don't have at the top, you know, at the end of my fingertips here. Uh, but stretching before workout, interesting one, because I um, my understanding and belief is static stretching is, can actually be detrimental to strength and performance prior to exercise. So I did a bunch of research on it several years ago, PubMed type stuff, printed them all out, gave them to my son's football coach so that he quit having them static stretch before practice. However, warming up muscles, uh, warming up the body, activation, dynamic stretching, uh, all of that I think is really important before doing some type of exercise or workout. Static stretching is not a, a bad thing at all to do after a workout, but before it, it can compromise uh, your ability
0: to, to, to give it 100%. It actually it can be detrimental. Yeah, and I would definitely agree with that. I feel like this is a pretty well-known, at least among fitness professionals, pretty well-known thing um, that stretching in general, well, what kind of stretching are you talking about? Be more specific, right? I need to know more. Um, And I actually do have an article or a journal uh, article pulled up for you guys that we will put in the comment section called Current Concepts in Muscle Stretching for Exercise and Rehabilitation. Um, It's from February, 2012. So I mean, we've known about this for a while and there's quite a bit um, that goes along with this since then, uh, author, last name Paige. Um, It's really interesting and just kind of overarchingly looks at a lot of research about stretching. Stretching is great. It also depends on what your goal is, right, as to when you should be doing it um, and what kind of training are you about to do. But in general, um, the benefits of stretching are really individual for each person that's doing them. Uh, PNF stretching is fabulous for a lot of people and it gives, in most cases, the most the greater in greatest increases in flexibility or muscle length, um, if you're trying to do it that way. So specifically PNF stretching, it increases your range of motion, but it does so in a better, more effective way. And the general recommendation is that static stretching before activity or competition for the athletes out there is not necessarily recommended as part of a warm-up protocol um, because there is something called the length tension relationship, Um, right? Our muscles can create force, but when they're too lengthened out, right? So if we do static stretching beforehand and we excessively lengthen them, they cannot produce as much force. It also puts them at risk for tears or um, uh, other injuries, right? Uh, Versus if they're too tight, right? You're just tight and you can't fully straighten your arm out, right? That's also detrimental. Your muscles are not going to be able to create the right amount of force. There is an ideal overlap. I've looked it up many times. I don't know the exact number of nanometers that the overlap is supposed to be, but there is an ideal amount of overlap that our muscles should be in that ideal length tension relationship. And dynamic stretching can get us there. So, we're actually moving our body through or our joints through a full range of motion um, and doing it relatively quickly. Um, that's going to be more ideal before activity. Uh, and that is also part of a warm up protocol to get your blood flowing, um, increase the elast- elasticity of the muscle fibers, and prepare your connective tissue for force production or force absorption. So, again, static stretching, not ideal beforehand, but for recovery days and post exercise, awesome. Go to work. <laughs> so we'll make sure to include that article for you guys. Um, but again, that's pretty well, pretty well known, I would say. Except so, by old school
1: football coaches. Yo. Yo. Uh, and, and people my age bracket.
0: Yeah, that's how I we mean, grew up. I mean, some people just, we just need to evolve, right? Everything. That's does, right. And there's some people that just don't evolve. evolve. Mm-hmm. And I work with a lot of like 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old athletes right now. And when they tell me, oh, I'm in high school weightlifting. I'm like, who's teaching your weightlifting class? Because usually it's like either A, a teacher that has no idea what they're doing um, or B, it's the football coach. And I'm like, no, well, first of all, I work with girls for the most part, like not exclusively, but 80% of the athletes I work with are female and our bodies are built differently. And then half the ones that I work with, like right now we're in club volleyball season. We need, we're for, Our focus is performance, right? It's not hypertrophy. It's not you know, gaining strength. It's not maxing out. And then these girls come to practice with sore legs. I'm like, oh, I'm going down a rabbit hole now again. I'm spiraling.
1: Yeah, I'm you spiraling. and I could talk a lot <laughs> about this one
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry guys, I'm spiraling today.
1: I may or may not have just had an energy drink as well. That's what happens when you leave it to just Jenny and I, folks. Yeah, uh, I when we have a guest here, it kind of keeps us in
0: line. <laughs> We go on tangents, shall we say. <laughs> okay, so now speaking of, that kind of, I'll bring up the next one. So that kind of brings us to our next myth. Lifting weights will bulk you up. What say you, Dan? Man, I, you know, it's amazing how
1: it's still uh, a very common myth. And, and I'm going to take a big step here and say that I hear it more amongst the female population when they're concerned mm-hmm. with strength training. They don't want to get bulked up. Uh, They can. Yes, strength training can. That's what bodybuilding is. Uh, However, it doesn't have to. bulk you up. And I think the biggest myth lies around fat loss. Mm -hmm. So I want to lift weights and lose some weight, but I don't want to get bigger. I don't want to bulk up. And we all know muscle weighs more than fat, et cetera. And um, if somebody wants to get quote unquote toned, that's a, generally a, a body fat reduction and an increase in lean body mass. Yeah. So you do want to bulk up, but how big you want to get depends on the amount of work you're willing to put into it. Because Jenny can tell you as a, as a, a professional bodybuilder, you're not going to look like her if you lift weights. Uh, it just, it doesn't work that way unless you're going to dedicate a whole lot of time and a whole lot of discipline to, to, to eating. You're not going to get big. So don't worry, you'll be fine. You can pick
0: up the dumbbells, you can do your curls, you can do the machine and you're not gonna get bad. Absolutely. I think it was Arnold who said that. He somebody would tell him, like, Oh, I don't want to look like you. He said, Don't worry, you won't. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> exactly. you get, yeah, it is work, but it's also nutrition, right? So if you're not eating to get big, you're not going to get big. Just like if you're not eating to lose at a deficit, you're not going to get smaller. You're not going to lose. It is what it is. You can't trick that. Like it's not a mental thing. It's actually a, an energy balance thing. Um, so yeah, lifting weights will bulk you up. No, um, they're gonna make it's gonna make you stronger. And a lot of the initial, especially for untrained individuals or people. People who have been away from it for a while and coming back, a lot of those initial adaptations that you'll see are going to be neurological adaptations, right? Your body's like, Oh, what's this? Right. And then all of a sudden you get all these results in the first couple months. You're like, Oh, this is great. But eventually that's going to slow down. So the longer you've been doing it, actually, yeah, the more you have to challenge yourself. But again, if you're not eating or training to get that bigger look, like whether it's to add muscle, um, you know, get bulky, quote quote. When people say bulky, I'm like, what? So you don't like you don't. To me, that's, I think, adding body fat. Bulking doesn't mean muscle to me. Like I want to get my muscles bigger. That means adding muscle to me. When you say I don't want to bulk up, I'm like, I, I picture a chipmunk stuffing its cheeks. That's what I picture. I'm bulking, man. Yeah. And well, people think that, they don't think about like, it can be done in a very precise way where you only add say two to 400 calories per day on really heavy lifting days to give your body the building blocks that it needs to to repair and to build um, versus a thousand extra calories a day or 2000 extra calories. It's not that serious. Like unless you're working out all day every day, you don't need that many calories. Same thing with pregnant women, right? You don't need that many calories in a day to eat for two. You're eating for 1.25 ish. <laughs> right, um so yeah, that is definitely a myth. Eating or lifting, eating weights, lifting weights a bulk bulky, up. Not now, lifting weights while eating—that's a whole different. We'll do that. We'll do another session on that. Right. Okay. I used to do that when I first started training because I, <laughs> I only had an hour on lunch and I wanted to work out, so I'd eat my little per- <laughs> bar or whatever while I'm over there oh, doing it. Time. <laughs> time management. That's right. Sit up, take a, <gasps> a <laughs> bite, lay down,
1: sit up, take a bite. oh I <laughs> like this. I—that'd <laughs> be a good trip, personal trainer. Oh,
0: uh, strategy right there. I legit <laughs> used to do that on a daily basis. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't be feeding them MMs. Time for another ISSA rapid review. Pamela had this to say about our certified yoga instructor course. I liked the way the exam was at your own pace and that it was open book. And as much as I hate doing the essay section, I do have to admit it actually reinforced everything I had learned and helped me organize what I had learned. I recommend this certification to anyone. Thanks, Pamela. Okay, back on track. Question
1: for you, Jen. Mm -hmm. Question for you. Myth out there. Strength training will make you less
0: flexible. Not true. who, I just want to know who thinks these things. Obviously somebody does, but no strength training or resistance training, again, depends on your goal. Cause there is strength training, there's power training, and then there's hypertrophy training three, very, very different things. Um, but if we're talking about just resistance training in general, we'll make you less flexible. I mean, if you don't do your recovery protocols and actually stretch and keep your muscles pliable, or, uh, as, um, uh, I think it's Tom Brady and a couple other people say supple Uh, that word it's like using the word moist oh the 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 art of being a supple leopard great book by the way we'll put the link for that one in the description phenomenal book about like rehabilitation and like human movement and range of motion through joints and like if you want to correct somebody's form this is the book great book um but yeah so if you aren't doing your recovery protocols and keeping your muscles pliable and supple then yeah you'll get stiff and you won't be able to move your joints effectively um but if you do all the protocols and things that you need to do. Like, people think that you can just come and work out and leave and you're done. Like, there's a warm up protocol that you should not skip, there's your training protocol that you should hone in on based on your goal. And then there's that recovery protocol, it could be as few as five minutes. And it could be up to an hour or two, depending on how much time you have and what exactly you are doing. But those things all matter. And then of course your nutrition and then how you sleep at night, the environment that you're in, are you around a lot of chemicals? Are you exposed to radiation? How's the air quality in your home? Like these are things that people overlook, but they all lead your stress. Hello, if you have a stressful job that is absolutely gonna affect your physiological response to things. Um, But strength training alone will not make you less flexible. So.
1: And and it's, it comes right back to the said principle, right? Specific adaptation and post demands. If you're spending 99% or 99.9% of your time pumping iron and 0.01% of your time stretching, you're not going to be flexible. So what, where are you putting the stress? Where are you spending your time? If it's a priority, you absolutely can't. Just look at high-end martial artists. Um, These guys are doing the splits and all kinds of freaky things. And you think, how is that even possible? (laughs) And maybe strong. Let's do another one. Let's do I love this one. I love this one. In fact, I just saw an ad on TV, I think it was last night. You wrap your waist with this band and you, you put some jelly on and it makes your your waistline disappear uh, while you exercise. But kind of ties in. The more you sweat during exercise, the more fat you lose. More sweat equals a
0: better workout. Let's say you. Nope. If you sweat a lot, like everybody sweats differently, right? The rate of sweating. So if I don't sweat a lot, you're telling me I didn't really work out. No, um, not necessarily. If I use the right training variables, the right load, I was there for the right amount of time doing what I needed to do. I got a good workout, right? Just like we'll talk about another one later. Soreness is not an indicator of you had a good workout or not. It probably means that you over, like you overdid it. In fact, right. That you did a little too much. Um, but no, sweating has nothing to do with it. And it also depends on the environment that you're in. If you're in a hot environment, like if, I'm in Arizona. I went outside to walk my dogs earlier. It's like almost 90 degrees outside here already. It's snowing here, Jenny. Right, I know. And then, yeah, and my fiance's family is from North Dakota. They are literally in three feet of snow right now. So that can make a difference, right? If, you're, if your environment is cooler, it's going to take you longer to sweat because sweat is literally our body cooling itself off. That's like, think of the physiological purpose of sweat. It's to cool your skin off. So that's why when you're in a hot yoga class, they tell you don't wipe your sweat off because the sweat, the water on your skin will actually help to cool you um, through that convection of the air moving across the water bubbles. Um, But if you wipe it off, then you don't have that protection. Um, So no, yeah, the more you sweat, I mean, you're not going to lose more fat or it doesn't mean you're burning more fat or anything like that. It's just everybody sweats differently. I know people who can go run a half marathon and not sweat at all like good for you. And then there's people like me who I'm, I'm sitting here right now and my back is sweating. My armpits are also good thing you guys can't see me.
1: <laughs> and in the endurance world, in the world of endurance sports, uh, triathlon, running, et cetera, uh, there's a calculation that you need to figure if you're, you're competing a lot, and that is your sweat rate because we mm-hmm. all sweat differently and your sweat rate. So you weigh yourself, you do X amount of exercise, you weigh yourself and you do it several times so that you can de- determine how much water to drink. So we are absolutely all different. You can't just say 20 ounces per hour is universal for an endurance athlete. No, it's not. Everybody is different.
0: That's a really good point, Dan. People forget about that, that you do have to replenish the water that you drink. And the general recommendation that I'm aware of, if you are sweating during a workout, so the way that you would measure this, not everybody can do it, but you'd weigh yourself, right? Ideally with no clothes on because the sweat would sit in your clothes. So follow me, right? If your clothes are wet, then they're gonna weigh more. Um, But ideally with no clothes on, you weigh yourself before a workout. With no clothes on, you weigh yourself after a workout and whatever, you you didn't lose two pounds of fat, right? You lost two pounds of agua. And in general, general, for every pound of weight loss that you have during a training session, um, you should be consuming between eight and 12 ounces, I believe it is of water, up to 16. Per pound, um, because you're basically replacing the water at between 100 and 150% of what was lost, assuming that some of it is not necessarily going to get absorbed. So, most people, because I don't drink during workouts at all, like I can't, I don't like it sloshing around in my tummy, but afterwards, you absolutely need to replenish what you lost. And and parting thought here
1: for those of you that wrestled or no wrestlers or raising wrestlers, that's the common one, right? The saunas, the garbage bags, the run, that's not fat, folks that's weight. Uh, just like Jenny mm-hmm. said, you are dehydrated. You're yep. dehydrating the body. You're
0: not losing body fat. Yeah. Which if you think about it too, I have, I've thought, so I've been doing a lot of looking into like working out in warmer climates and stuff. This is not a myth guys. I'm just talking now. Um, but your muscles don't contract as well when they're hot. So there's all kinds of technology and stuff. Um, Huberman lab phenomenal podcast. Um, he's been talking a little bit about, um, Palmer cooling. Like when you cool your feet, the bottoms of your feet and your palms, they have a different type of blood vessel where heat can dissipate very quickly. So that's why our hands get really hot and clammy or your feet get really hot or they'll get, they're the first things to get cold when you are cold um, because your body will preserve the heat in your torso and your hands will get cooler. But the the blood vessels specifically in your hands and your feet are a little bit different um, and they transfer or gain or lose heat easier. Um, so when you work, are working out and your body feels hot, right? if you cool your palms or the bottoms of your feet, palms are easier in most cases, um, you can actually cool your blood a little bit faster versus putting ice packs on your back or on your neck or on your core. right? That doesn't work the same way. It doesn't, it's definitely not as effective, but when you cool your blood um, essentially as, as it's circulating through your body, so we're talking two to three minutes of holding onto this cooler, not ice cold, but cooler um, uh, source, um, it makes your muscles more effective because it effectively cools down the muscle tissue so it can contract better right? it has a better firing rate and all these other things super super cool. Um, i'll see if I can find some research for you guys and put it in the description, but if you have not ever tried this my fancy gym has cold towels that smell like eucalyptus it's amazing, but I hold on to them in between sets. And so every three or four sets, they start to they get warm because the heat from my hands is now in the towel. So the towel starts to get warm. So I'll get rid of them and get two more, but I do it for about two to three minutes, take a lap around the track in between my really heavy sets of legs or something. And you'd be surprised. It's not like a, oh my gosh, I can do so much work. But now that fourth, that fifth, that sixth set of work that usually would fatigue really quickly, you get through that and you're like, oh man, I can keep going. You're able to do more volume because your muscles are actually at a cooler temperature. It's super cool. Super cool. So if you haven't experienced it before, try it. It's pretty neat. Sounds like it. All right. Let's see. Okay. So, oh, so we already talked about this one. If you don't feel sore the day after you work out or days after you work out, you didn't train hard enough. No pain, no gain. Dan, what say you? Uh, I hate that one.
1: hate that one. (laughs) Um, And and, uh, quick story. I took over a fitness department uh, years ago. And I called all of the people who had not done their sessions yet. They quit training with their trainer. They said, I don't want to train anymore. Um, And then they come back. So I called them individually to find out if we could, you know, have them come back in the gym and and why they left top three reasons. Number one, uh, my trainer was unprofessional. In other words, they missed sessions. They were late. They kept rebooking. They kept changing things. Number two, My trainer overworked me. I was too sore. They beat me up. They gave me too much. I didn't feel good the next day. Number three, the trainer didn't listen to my goals. They gave me their own goals. So there it is. Number two, it
0: beat the crap out of me. Don't need to do that folks. You don't need to do that for results. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Soreness is definitely not an indicator of you having a good workout. It just means in a lot of cases you probably did a little bit too much. Um, because our, our muscles get sore, our soreness. I always tell people when your body hurts or when it does things like that, or it's your stomach is rumbling, you have a headache. Instead of people trying to mask it, right? They take something to mask it or they're, oh, I'm just gonna ignore it. Your body's telling you something. It is telling you something. And when you are sore, right? Or you can't stand up straight because you're super, like you're just tender. That's your body saying, hey, this is not recovered yet. We should not do anything with this, like leave it alone. Um, so it may also be a fact that you maybe didn't recover well enough. They call it under recovering, right? Where your nutrition wasn't good enough the day of, maybe you weren't hydrated well enough. Um, there's a lot of other things that can contribute to you staying sore and that inflammation response lingering. Um, Cause the inflammation response is good. We want that, but to be sore for just a little bit and then you start moving around the next day and you're like, oh, I feel better, I'm good. That's kind of what we're looking for. Um, Another podcast I listened to is Iron Culture, Eric Helms, great podcast, tons of episodes too. Um, he was i actually listened to a couple episodes and he was talking about it where ideally you would want to be like sore like that maybe 20% of the time, maybe. And that we're, he's a bodybuilder too. Like you don't wanna be sore every time you work out but out of an entire week, maybe once to be super sore for a day or two, cool. Otherwise it shouldn't. it's not a thing that you should be striving for. And remember,
1: it's it's an adaptation also, a tolerance change. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I if I if somebody who's never run, as an example, goes out and run five miles, they're gonna be hurting. They're gonna be hurting bad. Mm-hmm. But if somebody runs five miles every day and they go out and run five miles, they don't get sore. So it's the same thing with strength training. We have an adaptation. So new workouts, new equipment, changes in uh, the direction or the, the the type of modality we're using can initiate some soreness, but then if you're repeating it and and using like a progressive overload model, you generally aren't going to continue to get sore. So don't be thinking I I didn't work hard enough or I need to add more weight or do more reps or whatever it may be because I'm not sore like I used to be. That's the idea, folks. That's the
0: idea. Absolutely. So speaking of that kind of brings us to our next myth, see how these all kind of lead into one another, that longer longer workouts are more meaningful. You got to be in the gym for two, three hours a day to get the most out of it what say you, Dan? No, we uh, don't. <laughs> Just-
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, next, uh, and you know, there's always the it depends, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you really have to consider what are the goals, what's yeah. somebody trying to do? Uh, I'm going to speak to the, the, the normal person trying to move better, feel better, maybe add a little lean body mass, drop some body fat, uh, there's no advantage to trying to spend you know more than actually 30 to 40 minutes in the actual strength training or the, the uh, goal-based movements in my opinion or less. Uh, mm-hmm. That can be too much for a brand new exercise. 20 30 minutes can be enough. Now we're not talking about folks that are you know uh, adding things to their body that allow them to recover much faster than a normal human being and can go in and lift weights for two to four hours a day because they recover abnormally fast. We're talking about the normal person here. So more is not better in in the strength training or the gym world. There's a little difference. It depends on your goals. It depends on what your objective is. Like in the endurance world, if you want to run a marathon, you're going to have to go out and run for a long time.
0: But you have to run for a long time every week. (laughs) No, you don't. I don't suggest you don't. Yeah. yeah, Endurance is completely different. And I'm actually doing a little little running research currently. And I've even learned some cool things about this. It's not like runners get so obsessed with the number of miles that they're running. It's not necessarily the number of miles. It's arbitrary to your body, just like time is, right? The days in a week that's arbitrary to our bodies. Our body doesn't know it's Monday, it's Thursday, right? It knows what we're doing and how long I've had to recover. But with running, your body doesn't know miles. It knows how long were you actually doing this activity, right? That's how your body Will adapt to it. So if you are an endurance athlete or you're you're preparing for a marathon or an ultra marathon or whatever a half marathon or a 10k, like your goal is to run for the like longer amounts of time to get the adaptations to your cardiovascular system, to your type 1 muscle fibers, right? That's but your body knows time. So if you set a goal of 30 minutes and get as far as you can in those 30 minutes, that's going to be more meaningful than saying I'm going to go out and run 2 miles and when that 2 miles is up is I'm done because guess what, as you get more effective as an endurance athlete, Two miles is going to take you less and less time. But so now you're not forcing an adaptation. You're just maintaining. (laughs)
1: And and you know what? That is the same principle with strength training. It's not about the reps. Mm -hmm. It's about the time under tension. Yeah. And how close are you to fatigue? Yeah. So very similar concept uh, in, in the world of strength training.
0: Yeah. And I always tell people as a trainer, um, regardless of what the person's goal is, but of course, depending on the person's goal, sometimes you just have to go in with a plan. today. This is what we're doing. These are the variables we're using. Here's the exercises I selected. Here's the number of sets and reps period. And here's our rest time. Right. And you go in and if you finish it in 35 minutes, cool. High five we we're done. Okay. And if it takes you an hour 20, okay. It's going to take us about an hour 20 to get through this and be okay with that. But we have to be okay with walking out of the gym, knowing that I came and did exactly what I wanted to do. I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's
1: other things to do, folks. Yeah, gym is not the coolest place to spend your day. Get it, yeah.
0: get it done and then recover. Yeah, well, my private clients love days where they get through stuff early. They're like, oh, I have an extra 10 minutes to drink my smoothie. I was like, yeah, have fun with that. You're welcome. Don't say I never gave you anything, right? There's your 10 minutes back. <laughs> it doesn't happen often, but yeah, no. <laughs> All right, what's the next one, Dan? Well,
1: we've got a few here and I know we've, we've got to be mindful of time. So I'm trying to I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with, with. I love this one. Your muscle will turn into fat if you stop working out. I love it. Said- and I know that's still a myth. I know that's still a myth.
0: So, yeah. does it? Does it? Does no. the muscle actually turn into fat? No, No, unless you have something seriously wrong with the way your cells replicate, they don't turn into other cells. That's not a thing. Um, But yeah, muscle does not turn into fat. You can reduce the size of your muscle tissue, right? Or have atrophy where you lose muscle tissue and then you gain body fat and say it's replaced by or turns into, you can gain body fat. So your body composition will shift or change over time. Absolutely. So you might look a little different 10 years from now if you stopped working out, but You're not going to turn your muscle fibers into fat. If you stop working out, it's not a thing. And if you're gaining fat in general, guys, again, energy balance, it's that simple on the very surface level, right? If we're thinking super superficial, um, it is calories in versus calories out in general, right? So if you are consuming more calories over time, than you are burning, you will gain fat because your body says, Ooh, look extra stuff. And it says, I'm gonna pack this away. I'm gonna pack this away. And it saves it as triglycerides in adipose tissue period. And then if you're at a deficit, you're burning more calories than you're consuming on a daily basis. Your body will, as long as the deficit is reasonable and all other things are equal, your body will access that adipose tissue for an energy source, a very efficient energy source, and you will lose body fat, right? If the deficit is too big, it can start breaking down other things, or you may find yourself getting into a little bit of a pickle as it breaks down other things. But yeah, that's a no. That's a hard no for me, Dan. (laughs) I agree. I agree. <laughs> not yeah. a thing. Okay. Oh, this one's good for you, since you are our little ultra marathoner, loving to adapt. I'm not little, well, but uh, yeah. You're you're my big ultra marathoner. Yeah, I shouldn't be doing them. <laughs> What's your question? Morning workouts will increase your metabolism. Oh, that's a good what one. What say you? Uh, okay. So back to
1: our certified personal trainer course. Uh, EPOC, right? Mm-hmm. Excess mm-hmm. post oxygen com- consumption. Uh, yes, our metabolism gets elevated. Yes, we burn more oxygen or use more because we have to make up the deficit of that which we use during training. Happens no matter what time of day you do it. You can do it at night, you get EPOC. You can do it in the morning, you get EPOC. So will working out in the morning increase my metabolism better than working out in the evening? No, it will not. Will I have an EPOC effect or a post-training effect? Yes, I will. And it can actually make it hard to fall asleep and all other kinds of things that go along with it. Now uh, personally I like a morning workout because of the epoch it's not just the oxygen your whole you know body is basically going what did you just do and it's mm-hmm. recovering and it's shaking and it's happy and it's elevated and your sympathetic nervous system got it regulated so it's a good way to start the day because you start out with a lot of energy and it flows into your day but will it actually increase your metabolism more if it's in the morning than the evening
0: that's going to be enough Fair. I like a morning workout. I'm that person. What time do you work out in the morning, Dan? Uh, Generally around seven. Now,
1: if I had my pick, I would train about 10 a.m. every day. So on days off, I like to train at 10 a.m. That's when I feel most ready, but I do not like training in the afternoon or
0: evening. Seven. That's like halfway through my day. (laughs) I get up at 4 a.m., 4.15 at the latest if I hit snooze, and I walk my dogs. And apparently somebody else in my neighborhood, by the way, side note, has started walking their little Yorkie dog in the mornings at 4.30 in the morning. And my dogs are 90 and 80 pounds, and they are not great with other dogs while they're on the leash. Lunch. <laughs> So I have to go <laughs> the other way. She messed up my walking route. call that a hundred-calorie pack. Oh, man, my dogs are jerks on the leash. I love you guys. Um, but uh, I get up, and then I'm at the gym by 5 in most cases, 530 at the absolute latest. Cause I just prefer to work out in the morning. Plus I'm one of those people, I'm super busy and I still train clients. So I have I'll work out and then I'll go train clients or my college athletes. Then I come do all this stuff here at ISSA. And then afterwards, I usually have practice or some other kind of sports conditioning for another three or four hours. So I don't have time. Cause yeah, like you said, working out later in the evening, it's not that you don't get a great metabolism boost. You're still gonna get the same effects from your body. And for some people that's their their Einstein window, right? When their body operates at its best. But for me, if I work out past about 4 p.m., I will be up all night counting dots on the ceiling cause my wow. body is just too revved up. And then I can't sleep. And then you don't want to see me the next day because then I'd be grumpy. (laughs) We don't want you grumpy, Jenny. I know. I know. I need to be sunshiny and jovial. (laughs) It's simple. Very, very much so. You should see all my recovery tools, Dan. I have so many. I believe it. So many. I just got a new uh, Theragun. We have a 20% discount with Theragun for members. Just so you guys know, if you're enrolled with ISSA, go online, log into your course portal and you guys all have a 20% discount. I got the little mini. They have a little mini yep, one. Yep, yep. I keep it in my gym bag. And so I, I use it in between sets and stuff now. I realize that my calves are a little tighter than they need to be. <laughs> great tool. But yeah, I do what I can, but I need, to, I need my sleep. So yeah, lots of great myths. I shouldn't say great. Lots of not so awesome myths, but hopefully we gave you guys a little bit of insight into them. We do have some links that we'll be sharing in the description because there are, there are evidence-based studies out there, guys. And there's a lot of proof out there to show that a lot of these are are myths. Educate yourself, understand what you can, learn more. Don't just rely on what people tell you. Go look into it yourself um, and see what you can learn about it. It makes you a better resource for people. And it makes it a whole lot easier to explain to people because your clients, they 100% will ask about this stuff. You know, and and, uh,
1: every once in a while, occasionally we do these myth-busting episodes. And I would encourage the listeners out there to reach out to us. Uh, You know, Jenny uh, co-hosts not only this, but other webinars and boot camps. So she's Mm -hmm. always available in those settings. We have our Facebook uh, group that that many of you belong to. But get the questions to us and it gives us something to be able to assemble for next time. Because I'm there may so be some
0: cool. myths out there we haven't heard of, Jenny, that, that we really want to smash. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Some things that'll probably make you say, huh? <laughs> 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 Who yeah, told dude. you that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. What? Scratchy, scratch his head. Huh? <laughs> I know. But yes, it was fun today, Dan. Lots of stuff going around out there, but lots of good information out there as well. Thank you guys for listening today. Hopefully you got a little bit out of this. Dan, do you have any last words? our listeners today
1: look it up Uh, you know you say it all the time your research don't do not take your advice from a post on the internet an article a google search unless it's backed by science
0: absolutely that just i get a little bit of ptsd when you say that because i told you guys before when i was a kid we'd ask my parents all kinds of questions right kids ask weird questions my dad would look at us and he would say, look it up and we had that old school encyclopedia britannica set yes whole set and every year we got the additional book oh yeah we had the, all old, like the 90s i know i know so we used to have to look stuff up we also used to look up things that we probably shouldn't look up like fart in the dictionary <laughs> it's in there just saying if you want to laugh for the day i'm glad to you realize. did the work for me <laughs> i know i know these guys know i'm weird it's nothing new anyway guys thank you again for joining us and i leave you with my last words of wisdom as usual make good choices we will be talking to you soon